Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Recently, we've been looking back to all these people, all of these you know, forerunners and forefathers, whether it was the Baptist, whether it was John the Revelator, we've done a lot of Peter, we've done a lot of the Apostle Paul, who himself you know, called himself like the, you know, the, the greatest of sinners, you know, and called himself this poster child, that, that he was such a rascal that he became the poster child of this reality of this grace, that it's not something you earn, it's something that Jesus has accomplished. And there's something in that message that I, that I feel like is, is the key to, it's the key to the gospel, really. But I think it's key to our DNA and to even what Jesus said church is. And so today I'm going to start off probably pretty quickly. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures that the Apostle Paul wrote by the Holy Spirit. So it's inspired of God. It's the Word of God. But Ephesians 3, verse 6 through 11 um, Paul's talking about how the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body of, you know, and partakers of the, the promise of Jesus through the gospel. He says in, in, in Ephesians 3, verse 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working um, by his power. To me, this is, we like to call him Saul bin Laden, right? You know, the Apostle Paul who had once been quite a bit of a naughty uh, persecutor and, and and blasphemer by his own words, to me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, I, it's like he, God picked the worst of the worst to make a point that this unsearchable, unfathomable Grace that comes from the goodness and love of God has been manifested in Jesus Christ in this victorious Christ. I was, I'm the poster child. That's why I was picked. And I'm fully aware of that. It wasn't because of my giftings. It wasn't because I studied under Gamaliel and I have the Bible or the Torah memorized. It wasn't these things. It's because I was such a rascal and a persecutor, blasphemer, mur- murderer that he picked me. And I want you all to see that. You know what I mean? That's what he's saying. And um, the unsearchable words of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship, that's the koinonia, the fellowship, the body, of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ. Christology, high Christology, this reality that John came and talked about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. This mystery, how could he be with God and actually be God simultaneously? Like, yes, I know, it is a great mystery, this reality. It's a mind-bender, you know. But Paul is talking about that same reality, this mystery that was hidden from the ages, which he says if the rulers of this world would have known, right? 1 Corinthians 2, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. It was stealth. It was a brilliant plan of recovering everybody. The mystery... To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like I know it's kind of a mouthful. And even Peter, Paul's buddy, says 
the stuff Paul writes is kind of hard to understand sometimes. And those that are unlearned, they take it and they twist it. And it's, it's been made a little bit crooked. <laughs> it's really because they don't see it through the lens of Christ. But Paul is he's, he's literally saying this great mystery that I've been made the poster child of because he picked the worst of the worst. And now all I do is talk about his grace. All I do is manifest this new covenant transformative reality with the intention now that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the principalities and the powers of the heavenly places. These wicked rulers that dominate and control the narrative, air quotes, of what reality, another air quotes, is on the earth. Jesus has made his family to combat that false narrative and to manifest this incredible manifold wisdom of God in a way that trumps reality and screams out the goodness, love, mercy, and redemptive grace of God in the planet and in the world. That's <laughs> just absolutely brilliant. That is what we exist for. That is why we are here. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's cool. I mean, it, the Apostle Paul in this book of Ephesians, which is really a great one for the church, and I won't, I won't be too you know, thick into it just for time's sake and everything else, but he talks about this full potential that we've been called to step into, that we're called to manifest the war of light against darkness on the earth. You know, Hebrews 10 says he is seated, Jesus is seated at the right hand of his, own, of his father, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. In other words, he's given the power of heaven, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and he's done his part. And now he's waiting for the sons and daughters of light to enact that reality and to where his enemies are the footstool of Jesus Christ. It sounds like everything in this book is about a battle to me. And this really inspires me. It really inspires me. It sounds like everything about church is about, is, is about a battle, you know, which also really inspires me. If you look, he continues in Ephesians 4 and it continues in Ephesians 5. You know, in Ephesians you know, 4, we're talking about he... He led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. He gave these spiritual endowments to his people in order to, for lack of a better word, be like the Jedis or the X-Men of the world and trump the powers of darkness over the world. It's there. You know, then you go to Ephesians you know, 6 and it's like we have these scriptures about Ephesians 6, like 11, and put on the whole armor of God. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against but against principalities and powers and the wicked rulers and of darkness of the age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. He's like, take the armor of God. By the way, this is a major spiritual demonic onslaught in battle. And oh, by the way, put on the full armor of God, you know. And it's not something we memorize so that before we go to school or work every day, we'll put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, it's not these, it's not an incantation. It's talking about fully abiding in Jesus in the finished work. The, the, the gospel of peace, like you're so established in it. You know what I'm saying? This, this helmet of salvation, it's like, it's like, no, 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 I'm not going to be tricked or deceived to go back into the works of religion, right? 
And he says that about uh, my fear is the way the serpent deceived Eve. So you may be deceived to go away from the simplicity that's in Christ. That's that is the, the breastplate of righteousness. Like, yeah, it's not going to get in me. I've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? The, the sword, which is the word of God, the two edged sword that comes out of his mouth. It's everything he says is my reality. And I'm abiding in that the shield of faith. You catch what I'm throwing. It's not just a little incantation. It's talking about abiding in Jesus. You know what I mean? And it's like, hey, by the way, every book in the Bible is like, hey, by the way, this is a war and you've signed up for something. You're no longer meddling in civilian affairs. That's another thing that he says. You know what I mean? You're involved with something that since the Garden of Eden has been be fruitful and multiply and subdue the whole world. In other words, Eden wasn't over the world, but Eden was in the world. But he's like, extend Eden, this heavenly this heavenly city, this garden, over the whole world. And the word subdue is a word of war. Of course, the keys were given away to the bad guys, but then the keys were recovered by another guy, the second Adam, the last Adam, in whom we are now a new creation. You know, This stuff, uh, it gets me going a little bit. Can you tell? And, um, you know, when we started this church, I mean, really, it was, it was much more of a Bible study of a small group of friends um, out of a theory and a belief that God had ordained it and said to do it. And a, and a belief that, hey, anything that's built by the Spirit is maintained by God. But if you build something in your own flesh and in your own strength, you're going to have to maintain it in your own strength. Amen. And it's going to wear you out. And so we felt a caution against things like self-promoting and advertising and recruiting people and getting musicians and doing all these little things like, hey, let's not do that. Let's actually teach the Bible amongst our friends and teach the gospel and live it and let God add to it, if you will. And then we'll see if we were right or not that God sent us to do this. <laughs> it's like when God told Moses, how am I going to know that you're going to? He's like, yeah, when you get to the end and you're, you're on the top of that mountain, then you'll know that I was the one that got you through it. Like, so you mean when it works, I'll know that it was you? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Anyway, sorry. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the way it works. And, and so these, these theories of what church is and the theories of what God is, I want to I let you in on, even on my mind of the battle, because I don't talk about some of the things I talk about today. I don't talk about a lot of the revelatory things. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't like to, because a lot of people use those to kind of draw people to themselves, and it's not really nice. It's not good. Um, but in reality... Um, the, the basic revelation of Jesus talking about the Christian church and what it looks like and how it functions has been kind of the blueprint of what we've wanted to do here. And um, there's, there's these objectives. And I always teach through or we talk through Matthew 16 verse 18 because I, I feel like in that, um, it, I guess, encounter or, or conversation between the disciples and Peter and, and Jesus, it really starts in verse 13. We see this, this blueprint that the Apostle Paul is kind of drawing from, and he's painting it like a, a Star Wars movie, the principalities and powers and the giftings of God and wrestling against not flesh and blood, and like this is a spiritual war and taking the manifold wisdom of God being manifest this he calls it an eternal purpose like what do you mean it continues after the earth like that's what the apostle Paul is saying but it's stuff we don't really think about 
because it sounds more like a Lord of the Rings script than, than, the, than the Sunday school Bible gospel that we've been taught. You know what I mean? But it's just so much bigger. And, um, but Jesus, very simply, is, is with his disciples. And he's in the region of a very specific place that he was at. You know, in the very specific region and area where he was at. And even during a very specific time frame when there was a major pagan festival going on. And he was literally near this place that I guess archaeologists call it like Beneus now and Peneus. And it's like this, this worship site of the god of Pan, um, which is quite possibly and most possibly the very source of the Jordan River, which was like in the Jewish belief, it was like this mystical, magical river. You know what I'm saying? Because they crossed over it and all these things happened. And now Jesus has been baptized in it by Dreadlock John and all these things. But Jesus is in this same region and he's asking his people, which I think is, is so crucial for all of us, who do men say that I am? Like, who do people say that I am? And it's really two questions. And they say, some say John the Baptist, because they thought John the Baptist had come back. Some say that you're Elijah. And some people think you're Jeremiah, you know what I mean? Or, or one of the prophets. But then the second question is very similar, but it's, it's very much different. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? But who do you say that I am? This matters a lot. This is very important, you know. And um, Peter steps into the scene and, and he's like, look. He says, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the son of God, you know. To which Jesus reacts and he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona." For, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Mm. And this is, this is um, objective number one. This is objective number one, and this is the plan number one of what I believe Christianity is really based on. On this rock, I'll build my church. And obviously, you know, we're not Catholics, and so we don't think that was Peter the first pope, even though he was kind of like a leader to the, to, to the squad, the, the big brother of, of the, the majority of them. But it's just like this reality of like, who do people say and who do you say? He says, I say you're this. And he says, blessed are you because you didn't get that from people. You, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. Remember the first question, who do people say? It's like, yeah, you haven't heard that from what people say. You've heard that from a different source. This has been revealed to you by your Father who's in heaven. This is the first mention of like, boom. Hey, fishermen who self-proclaimed, I'm a man of unclean lips. <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand who you're dealing with. I'm kind of a rascal. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, and blessed are you because you've just entered into a relationship with God who's in heaven. Yeah. He's telling this Jewish boy, like, you've, you have heard this from God. You've heard this from God. Well, God doesn't still talk. Well, well bang. Christianity 101, you've heard this from God. This is not from a person. It's not that you can't hear a preaching or a teaching, but it's like there's something there where that the Spirit bears witness of this reality that you're hearing something from God Himself. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Blessed are you for, for you have heard this from God, and on this rock I'm going to build this, this church, this ecclesia, this, this, this group, this organization which none of them had ever heard of. I mean, it's a Greek term. It was something they'd heard of, but it's just like, these Jewish guys, you, like, you mean on this rock, you'll, I'll build the synagogue. 
I'll rebuild the synagogue. Well, it's been rebuilt. I'll take over the synagogue. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm starting something brand new. And I've picked 12, which represents the 12 tribes. This, I've, I've started this council and I've started something brand new. And it's called the church. And um, number one, the number one objective that we've had of heart and that we felt like that's the directive of God for our church and what I believe is the biblical church is that people would enter into relationship with their true dad. All the teachings, if you look back to them, if you've listened to this stuff online, it's like the bipolar deity, you know, the victorious Christ, like the revelation of your father, the revelation of the deity of Jesus Christ, all these things that are hammered so much, but it's all for that one thing that people step into relationship with the Lord Jesus, that they know him, that they recognize his voice. They know who he is, but they also recognize what that means for him. I've been crucified with him. I was already crucified. Ephesians 2, all these writings of Paul, like even when I was dead in trespasses, he made me alive in Christ. He actually seated me in the heavenly places in Christ. Like, wait, that's controversial. That's bad. You didn't say the sinner's prayer. He's like, nope. Even when I was dead in, dead in my trespasses, he made me alive. He's making this point. It was nothing that I did of my own. It was nothing I actually did. He rescued me while I was dead asleep. And I woke up in a different place. And by, you know, I can choose to still abide in that old place or I can choose this repentance, this turn of mind and to walk with him into this newness of life. It's like, that's, that is the gospel, what he's actually done. Stepping into the relationship. And so you can see some of the redundancy of teaching through the thorough teaching of like the Old Testament scriptures, like the Isaiah 59, 14, like these prophecies in the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? Like telling, telling Isaiah, like who stepped into this special role as a prophet, like, hey, my words that are in your mouth, like they're going to be inside of your descendants and will never depart from this time and forevermore. Like they're all going to know me. I'm going to cleanse them. Like all these little prophecies were not just about cleansing or going to heaven when you die. They were about getting back into a true relationship with God, which was lost in Eden a long time ago. That's what they were all about. And if you want to go through it, you know I go through it a lot, but that's why it's so thorough. You know, that's why Jeremiah 31, 33, like no one's going to be able to tell you know the Lord because you're all going to know the Lord. It's going to be, you're going to be as close to him as you want to be. That's the reality of Christianity. Like this voice, this communication, it is real. Ezekiel 36, 26, another one. I will sprinkle this water. You will be totally clean and I will take the heart of stone, which is the result of the poison of that fruit of tree of knowledge and evil, and I will put within you the heart of flesh. Ezekiel 30, uh, 36, 25, 26, 27, it's like, I will, and my words will be in you, my, like, you're, you're, you'll be sensitive to me. All these prophecies were all, the, they were all about this relational connection. It's, I know to most of you, it's silly to even think, like, some, you, some people think God doesn't talk, like, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's the baseline of Christianity. But it's what it's called as a doctrine of demons, and, and, and it keeps people trying to be separate from God, but you can't, because he's talkative. Yeah, you know, if, you know, what, uh, Joel too. Think about that one. Peter stands up and yells it out at Acts. You know, this. You guys think these people are drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, but they're not. This ain't the hangover movie and they're all just tore up in the morning. This isn't some worldly debauchery thing. This is something holy and pure. This tongue's of fire. They've done something. And these are tongues. This is Joel 2. It's actually happening. That's what he's saying. Joel 2.28. If you read that, like, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men and young men will dream dreams. They're going to see vision, even on your men servants and your maid servants. Oh, wait a second. Not the girls, though, right? they got to grow their hair super long and wear long skirts and sit down and be quiet, right? Like, no, it's not what they have to do. 
another demonic twist of the scriptures alrighty but you know it's like it's like it's like hey no it's it's actually none of that like the dreams the visions the connection that's all relationships to a God who is spirit and Jesus said you must worship in spirit and truth it's like all of it's for you in Christianity it's no longer for the kings or the prophets or the, the priests or the people that got oil dumped on them it's like it's like that oil was only symbolic of a real thing that was given to all mankind well, the elect, right? The ones that was, it was, no, 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 that's another one, no. You know, all of our prerequisites, all of our challenging t twists of the scripture, it's like, no, this is literally meant for everyone to step into. Yeah, it's true. It was, the plan is like for people to step into that it's like you're not impressed by somebody's revelation or somebody's big talking teaching gift or whatever, but this thing that's communicated is like we tie our shoes the same way and like you can know God just like me and it, all of us are on the same level playing field when it comes to knowing God like this is not for well so he's got the prophetic gift the fivefold ministry it's like no it's for everyone to step into and this is ground level one ground zero or whatever you want to call it I don't know maybe it's the basement even it's so foundational that it's our truth and in it is the recovery of the mystical reality that is true Christianity that's the goal of our house you know the fear of the Lord, which is not being afraid of God. It's the delight of Jesus Christ. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, right? Isaiah 11, 3 and 4, it's like this, this reality of this spirit-filled walk to where the fear of the Lord is not being afraid. It is the awe and the wonder of God to where that reality of heaven is more real. Your Father's presence being with you and never forsaking you is more real than anything you encounter in this life. And that will produce evangelism. Not doing skits, you know what I'm saying, or passing out tracks. I'm not, not speaking against those things, but it's about the way we live and the wholeness we live, which is evangelism, because people want what we have. Mm -hmm. It's about a place of worship that is out of this world. That is the vision for this place as well. A place of worship where it's very free. You know, that David dancing around his clothes flying off would fit, would fit in. Now, don't ever do that or you'll get pulled out. We got a lot of strong guys in here. But you know what I mean. Freedom. That's objective number one. In a nutshell. Who do people say? But who do you say? That people would know him. And on this rock I'll build my church. Objective number two. Verse 18. And I say to you that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell, of Hades, another Greek word, it's funny, from their mythology, you know, it's interesting. The gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hmm. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on the earth will be loose in heaven. I'm creating an ecclesia, a church that is the embassy of God where people come and they walk in the reality of what I've done and they come into agreement with the reality of heaven and enforce that reality here. That's what it says. That's what it says. It's an embassy in a foreign land where you're going to go over there, and this is Texas, so we're going to go over to France and nobody's drinking tea with their pinkies out or cappuccinos or whatever they like in France. It's all going to be, we're going to transform France to like, we're, I don't know, what some real redneck type of stuff that we like in Texas and our culture is going to be instituted over there. I don't like the sound of that, but it was just an analogy, right? <laughs> I don't like country music and those types of things, but don't sue me for that. I'm just saying. 
Uh, and I, yeah, nothing against France. It was just an analogy. But it's like you're going to actually, this ecclesia is going to have the authority to, to unlock heaven and the earth where it's been shut out. And it's also going to have the authority to lock out the gates of hell. Hell has found its way into the earth. You know. But their gates will not prevail. And it's not a club who erects big walls around ourselves, you know, and then builds ourselves as high as we possibly can like the Tower of Babel. And our gates will be so strong that hell won't be able to get in. It's like, no, 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 no. Their gates won't be able to keep you out. Like, you have the deed to this place, and they're squatting on it, and they shouldn't be. Bang, bang. It sounds, it sounds like... You know, I'm going to say, rumor has it, if you read the Bible, a predominant name for God throughout the Bible is the Lord of hosts. Yeah, and we know what that means. The Lord of the armies, the Lord of the, Lord of the angel armies, angelic armies. You know what I mean? It's just like, wow. It's just like the battle was in our, was in our DNA. It's in the essence of who we are. You know? Yeah. If, if... If we're defeated, if we feel defeated, what does uh, Greta say? If you feel defeated, you've been cheated and you have retreated. Greta Van Fleet said that one time. Yeah. If you feel that you've been defeated, you've just been cheated and you've retreated. Now, the Apostle Paul said something like Greta Van Fleet, but he said something like, we are more than conquerors. Uh -uh. It's like even the stuff that comes at us, it's like even what we feel like is a loss, it's like the greatest loss and injustice ended to be the greatest victory. If the rulers of the world would have known, they would have never crucified him, the Lord of glory, now would they? They would have never touched him. They would have never crucified and left him alone. But he was the victorious king. And so this is my secret agenda. But I feel like it's the biblical agenda. And it's the purpose of this place, this household of faith. Um, because I believe that it's the playbook of heaven. On this rock. And it's like, so if you're a Tyler House faith, if you're here, it's like, my thoughts are like, how do you, how do you declare war over a city? Or over a region? How do you declare the war of heaven? How do you step into that fight over a place? You know what I mean? That, you know, even that Jeremiah 29, like that you, that you pray for the peace of the place that you live, that you, that war now, now you know what I mean by that, 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 that war, that waging of war that takes that which is in heaven and looses it on the earth against the darkness that keeps that place bound. Yeah. Everywhere you find yourself, you've been dropped, in a sense, behind enemy lines to actually do good and to manifest this reality. And I feel like I have Jesus' playbook. I think I have the, the devil's playbook. What's the, what's the devil's strategy to subdue a region? Well, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. But the number one thing you've got to do is you've got to keep the sons and daughters of God from waking up to who they really are. You have to. 
That's what I hear. That's what the bad guys have got to do. You know, eat this fruit, then you'll be like God. He's holding something back from you. Cause division from them. Cause, you know, make them feel like they have to do something to be like God. It's like they've been, we've been created in the very image of God to manifest God. So get, get, them, working to do, get them working to have something that's been freely given, right? The prodigal son, give me what's mine. Like, oh, uh, it's all here, but okay, you know. The older brother, what did he do? You never gave me a fatted calf, Dad. Uh, you know what I mean? Unreal. What did, what did the dad say? He's like, you, everything I have is yours, man. Like, who lied to you and told you you didn't have access to, to this abundant inheritance that's right here? That was, the, that was the flaw in the game. And he's telling that story to Pharisees, Luke 15, right? So it's like, hey, like, who told you guys you couldn't enter into the kingdom? He's telling his disciples, go around and say the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. It's already, it's here, it's amongst you. He tells the Pharisees in Luke 17, it's actually within you. It's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, you are the powerhouses of the earth created in the image of God, and you've been deceived to working for something that you've already been given freely. Because he's crucified before the foundations of the earth, right? And so, wow, that's a weird thing to think about. But religion is the most powerful force because it uses the weapons of shame and condemnation and it keeps people neutralized through their own self-disqualification. That's something we've been talking about these past few weeks. When I was thinking about what's the thread of what we've been talking about, and it's like, well, Rosh Hashanah just hit. It's the Jewish, it's this new year, the clock of God. And it's just like, man, this is interesting. But I feel like I could see the theme of the messages and the word of the Lord that's been for our house. And I just think, man, Condemnation. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Like that, that is the trigger point of what separates this religion from all that is of darkness. That's all they really have is to preach separation and darkness. Is that's, that's, that's all that they have to keep control over the regions, to keep people self-sabotaging themselves, but also self-disqualifying themselves from being who they truly are because they have the keys, they have the ability to release it. It's that simple. And see, we've, we've been, we even think that like, in order to be used by God, right, we've got to be squeaky clean or we have to know a lot of knowledge or we have to be super pure in all purity and walking in wholeness and holiness with the Lord and in relationship with Him and in, and in, in great integrity is, is where we're supposed to be. However, we get tricked into thinking that we, oh, I make mistakes and I'm disqualified or someday I'll be able to be used by God, but I'm not there yet. I don't know enough or I'm still get frustrated, all these different things, and so we self-disqualify ourselves, when in reality, the strategy of the king was nothing like that. Nothing. Which is why it was so controversial. Which is why the Apostle Paul's calling himself, like, to me, who was the greatest, <laughs> the greatest of the rascals of the earth. This was actually giving me this message so that I would be the poster boy of it. But he went all in with it to where he couldn't be killed until he was able to be killed. Allowed himself to be killed. Where he's having conversations like, I don't know what's better, to be here or to be with the Lord. I don't know which one I shall choose. Like, what do you mean choose? You're going to choose when you allow people to take your life? Because you want to lay up treasure in heaven? Like, who talks like that? Well, Jesus did. He says, I laid, they're not taking my life. I'm laying it down. Just, just understand that that's what's going to happen here. These guys, were, these guys sound crazy to me, you know? You know what I mean? But the ways of God are higher than the ways of man. There's an indestructible reality of Psalm 91 that is Christianity that we're called to walk in. And it comes from believing that we are the beloved of God and loved by Him. And the goodness of God 
transforms us into repentance and, and, and it, by repentance. And it doesn't cause us to like constantly look at ourselves and see what rascals we're all and all these things. It's because he's actually blessed us and he's empowered us to be fruitful and multiply, which, all, by the way, is not only for us. It's usually for other people. People that are constantly looking to be filled, they almost never grow. They go around the same mountains year by year by year. And I've been watching it because that's my job is to watch and to speak into people. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, it's, it's just so, yeah. So it is what it is. But the people that, are, that step up to be used by the Lord, you know what I mean? And they're not just looking to have their needs met, but they're actually looking to meet needs even when they have needs. The river of life flows from them, just like Plotini in John 4. It flows from them. Yeah. And when that river flows, you're partaking of it too, and it causes growth and advancement. His disciples didn't have it all together. We think Paul, you know, Paul, a.k.a. Saul bin Laden, we think he was kind of a rascal. But Jesus' disciples, if you, if you look at Luke 9, this is the first message I ever preached at the Hof, or this story was used on the very first night we actually let our Bible study be open, you know what I mean? Um, but in, in Luke chapter 9, Chapter 9, Jesus speaking of the king's strategy versus the enemy's strategy. He calls his 12 disciples and he gives them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sends them to preach the gospel. He sends them out. He's like, go and say that the, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go tell them that. Jesus has been doing things. Who do people say that I am? Well, some people think you're John. Some people are thinking. So Jesus is famous and, and the boogeyman, Herod and the religious machine, it's the boogeyman. Like, what's he doing? He showed up in what? Where was he? Capernaum? Where was he? Bethany, where was he? Wait, where did this happen? Siloam, the, the pool? Like what? It's all, they're, all, they're always trying to find where he's at. And, and like there's these stories are happening. People that were blind, people that are lepers. All these weird things are happening. They're shaking. Um, but Jesus does something that nobody saw coming, and he gives his disciples this power and authority to go do these things. Can you imagine standing up in line like the 12 of you? you you've just been, these guys, as we'll see, there's. They weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you guys to go to all these cities around, and I want you to um, preach this gospel of the kingdom. Here, I'm giving you power over, and over demons and, and to cure diseases. And I, can you imagine just standing there and be like, you're giving me what? Looking at each other. Do you feel different? No, me neither. You, all, you always have that charismatic friend, like, whoo, man, I feel, you feel that, brother? Whoo, yeah. And sometimes you just kind of play like, yeah, man, whoo, that was powerful, dude. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You kind of play along, but it's like, I'm, I'm never. I'm like, yeah, I didn't know. You know? But he's like, you have this power to go do this. Like, we, we have, oh, really? So they go out, and they do it. And they, in the beginning of Luke 9, they're giving this power. Then they come back to him. I don't know how many weeks this takes or how long they've been out. They come back pretty fired up. And um, they come back and they're like, yo, this is what it is. He's like, all right, let's, let's take a break and go out into the, you know, the wilderness like he always used to do, out in the middle of nowhere. People found him. He multiplies a bunch of food. He takes... Takes three of them up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They see him glowing like straight up whiter clothes. You know, all this stuff. This is, this is, you know, they see Moses and Elijah. All this stuff of Luke 9 starts happening. And the disciples are like, oh my goodness, it is go time. We are about to take over 
the entire nation. We're finally going to remove Rome. These punks that have been breathing down our necks for a long time. And oh boy, because now we're all stepping in this like, yeah, we're stepping in this power. They're stepping in this authority. And it's all been to give life. If you read Matthew 10, 8, it's like, you know, cleanse the sick, you know, heal lepers, you know, raise the dead, you know, cast out demons. It's like, basically, you have this power and it's not for you. It's for you to release to everyone who's oppressed by the devil the way I've been doing it. Go and look not at yourself, but go look to give life to other people. The strategy of the king. Strategy of the king right there. He's a warlord. The Lord of hosts, if that offends you. The warlord of hosts. I'll slide it in there. Sounds cool. But, you know, anyways, these guys come back and Jesus is moving towards, towards the cross. He's stepping towards the end of his race. And he's telling them in Luke 9, let these words sink down into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be traded into the chief into the hands of men, like the chief priests and elders. He's telling them what's going to happen. In the, in the Mark version of the gospel, he tells them three different times what's going to happen to them. And every time the disciples get it wrong, which is hilarious. First one, like Peter's like, it, it's never going to happen. I got your back. We'll never let this happen. And then he says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, you're thinking like the devil. Anyways, it's funny to me. The disciples never knew what was coming. They're on the road. They're coming back. His face is set like flint. And it says he tells them this thing, this reality. The Son of Man is about to be, be, be betrayed. But he's saying, let it sink down into your ears because he knows what he's doing. He's like, let, let this sink down into your ears. He's saying something over them. You don't, you're not going to understand this. It's going to make no sense. But a few weeks from now, it's all going to make sense. And it's all going to come back together. And I'm going to open your minds to understand the scriptures. He knew what he was doing. But he was putting it down into their spirit. That's so brilliant. That's, that's better than any Jedi or, you know, samurai. You know, it's just like he is so brilliant. Knew exactly what he was doing. For the joy that was set before him, he was on his way to get it done. Yeah. It wasn't, oh, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's just different, man. So he tells them this, and they're on this road. Luke 9, 46. A dispute, you know, raises up amongst the disciples of which one of them was going to be the greatest. Jesus took a knowing their thoughts, took a little child and set it by him and said, hey, who receives me as this child in my name receives me? I'm sorry. Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. That was his answer. So the disciples are literally debating. They've just gone out and been used by God, but they're talking trash amongst one another of which one of them was going to be the greatest. It's like finally he's taken the nation over and I think I'm going to be on his right-hand man. Like, no, I'm going to be on his right. No, 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 no. I held, I healed a leper. Yeah, but my leper was, had, had no hands and I healed a leper with no hands. Yours just barely had leprosy. You know, they're fighting over who's the greatest because this power has come upon them. And they're like, oh. It's like, well, the, I got y'all beat. There was a kid I raised from the dead. You know, they're, they're fighting who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be the Who's going to be the top dog? This is how these guys acted. And Jesus, instead of saying, like, this is terrible. You know what I mean? You should have never graduated from seminary. You guys are idiots. You know, like, I'm going to pick new people. He just says, hey, see this little kid? 
You got to, you know, he receives a kid that can't do nothing for him. In my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He who's the least among you will be great. Be a servant. Be the least. Do it like me. It says, Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he doesn't follow us. He doesn't follow with us. In other words, Jesus kind of rebukes them, but very gently, like, hey, who's going to be the greatest, really? Like, be, be the servant. Be the least. Like, this is the, this is the mindset. Like, this is, this, is, this is the mindset. And then somebody chimes in of like, hey, just so you know, put, I, I put out a fire the other day. Like, he's proud of it. I handled it. You handled what? Well, there was a guy casting a demon out of somebody. But he's not one of us. He's not one of the 12, you know? Like, you're, you're, you're the elite crew that you've got with us. He wasn't one of us. So we told him, like, quit. Don't do that. You know? Put that demon back in that guy right now. Because you ain't... People are going to think you're somebody that you're not. You're not one of the 12, brother. You ain't one of us. You know what I mean? To which Jesus said... To which Jesus did not say... John, you're an idiot. You've just enabled a demon to torment a person. And now you're definitely going to be the least of the 12. You might not even be one of the 12. You know what I mean? So Jesus didn't say that. I would have. Jesus says, hey, don't forbid him, for he who's not against us is on our side. Again, I'm, I'm like, dude, that's your leadership style? You're not going like, to dig into that? You're not going to lay, in, lay into him for that? That's all you're going to say? Hey, don't do that, don't do that, John. Don't do that. Demon comes out, that's a, that's a positive thing. Demon inside, not a positive thing. Obviously, we're on the team that's demon out. He was demon out. He's on our team. Oh, yeah. What did he not say? Wow, you think you're so much more elite and better than other people that if it's not coming from you, it must not be of me. That's a real religious, territorial, squatter mentality that's just like the devil. And you're off my team. No, not, but he didn't do that. Because he's not the accuser. Right? Yeah. He leads by who he is, not by who he's not. We think, John 16 says, the Holy Spirit was given to convict people of sin. And people think that the Holy Spirit was given just to constantly remind them what they're doing wrong. But that's out of context. John 16 says the Holy Spirit was given to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, of judgment, of sin, because they do not believe. In other words, the belief in this reality, this conviction is like, oh my gosh, that's actually real. That can't be broken. There's no teaching that can break that because it's the real translation of the Bible. It's just because it's been taught over the entire world in most churches doesn't make it right. It's easy to shoot a hole right through. Actually, it doesn't. it's not even there, so it's easy to brush off. It's not in the Bible. But what is in the Bible is Jesus is not accusing them, not even rebuking them. He's just giving the contrast. And this is the point. We go down the road a little bit further, you know, five verses to be exact. It says when his disciple, um, or no, the next verse. Don't, demon out's good, demon, demon in's bad. How about that? It says, now when he came to pass, when it's time for him to be received up, he's steadfastly going to Jerusalem. He sent messengers before his face into the village of the Samaritans to prepare a place for them to stay. It says, but they did not receive him. 
because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So the disciples tried to make hotel arrangements in in Samaria, the Samaritans, thinking Jesus had a really good rapport there, because he did, because of Fotini and that kind of stuff that had happened back in John 4. Um, But when they're like, no, we don't have any room for you Jews, that racial tension kind of came up. Um, It really ticked off the disciples. They're like, oh yeah, you don't have room for us? It says when his disciples, James and John, those are two of the guys that went up on the transfiguration. They saw Moses and Elijah. That's how close they were to the Lord. They saw Moses and Elijah and heard the Father's voice. This is my son. Listen to him. That's close, y'all. That's proximity. That's, that's high-level revelation. And what did they do when the Samaritans didn't have any room for them in their city? They got so ticked off that they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven on them and consume them all like Elijah did? Like, like hey, let's just kill them all. How about that? Oh, you don't got a room for us? Well, we're going to kill you. That's... And hey, Jesus, would you like us to kill them? Would you like us to kill them for you? Now, surely, now's the time. All right, John, you just try to put a demon back in somebody. James, you're an idiot too. You know, you guys are being rascals. The sons of thunder, you're officially just violent. That's murder in your hearts. You're disqualified. You're off my team. But it says he turned and rebuked them. And he said, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of because the son of man didn't come to destroy men's life, but he came to save them. It's like, dude, that's all you're going to say? You've got to say something more mean than that. It's more harsh. You've got to get the point across. But his point wasn't like, you are of the spirit of murder. You're joining in with Satan's plan for mankind, and we don't war against flesh and blood. I'm here to save people, not to kill people. But instead of saying that, he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. He doesn't tell them what they're of. I could have told them. Satan, you know? <laughs> That's, that's demonic. You need deliverance. But what did he tell him? He's like, ah, you guys don't get it. I came to save, not to destroy. He just paints the contrast of who he is, not who he's not. And here they are wanting to do some rascal stuff. Let's just kill him like Elijah. We just saw Elijah. Hey, let's use some of his fire tricks and kill some people. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no, that's not, that's not, that's not us. But the beautiful thing about this story, or about verse 46 to 56, these 10, 11 verses, is that these are the disciples right before he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the scripture even says the reason that there wasn't room for him there is because he had his face set for Jerusalem. In other words, it wasn't destined for him to stop there. They were ticked off about being rejected from a place that they were never supposed to go to anyways. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being so butthurt about something that didn't work out for you because God had something better for you, but you can't see that, so you just wallow in your own stuff like a victim, and you stay where you're at, and you don't move forward. Wouldn't that be awful? It would. I'm sure it happens, but it's just one of those things, man. Like, you weren't supposed to go there anyways. But here you have this this example. You know, the Apostle Paul's like, I I was the chief, chief, chief of sinners. I was all these things. And I, you might be able to argue James and John could say, hold my beer to that. Like, hey, well, actually, we tried to kill a whole city. We tried to, we tried to push a demon back into a kid, that, an, innocent, an innocent person that had a demon. We tried to say, hey, put it back. You know, we were pretty bad, too. You know what I mean? It's like they all had this stuff in this nature, but did any of it disqualify them? Because what would the enemy's tactic be for, cha- for transforming a city? Keep the sons and daughters asleep. Make them self-disqualify themselves. 
make them feel rotten, make them feel condemned constantly so that they never pick up the authority. What's Jesus's? And, and even the strategy of like, make them feel like they have to earn this. They have to memorize enough and be perfect enough to be used by God and to give life to people. Make them feel that way so that they will never do it because then they'll take our space, you know? But Jesus is, he's like, these guys have murder in their hearts. They're elite. They think they're better than other people. You know what I mean? They're in competition with one another. So their selfish ambition, which we know, James said, where there's selfish ambition, there's jealousy and every evil thing comes from it. James 3, right? So it's like they have all these character flaws and issues. And Jesus gives them the authority, the keys. It's like, no, it's about on this rock. It's not who man has told you. It's, it's about who your Father in heaven has told you. So blessed are you. And on this rock, I'll build my church in the gates of hell. And this is where the keys of the kingdom will happen. And this is how this thing works. That's been told to them and given to them before they've ever stepped through. They needed a lot of character development. Could we agree on that here? But did they feel disqualified? They obviously didn't. Because it's like, here's a machine gun, some grenades and a bazooka, the power of the spirit to go and wreck the kingdom of darkness and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand you know, not disqualified. Instead of like, well, they got to be, it's like, hey, I'll empower you and I'll bless you to release life because in doing that, you will come alive. That's what you're created for. It's life and abundant life. That's the agenda of the kingdom. That's the agenda of the Lord Jesus. He said it in John 10, I came in a life and an abundant life so they manifest heaven on the earth. He wasn't concerned with them being perfect. He was, a, he was concerned with them walking with him because that's what they were doing. And releasing heaven on the earth because he knew that will cause you to come alive and apart from me you can't do that so you'll be walking with me you'll be in relationship with me and guess what I'll kill two birds with one stone or maybe I should say I'll resurrect two birds with one stone because it's so much backwards I'll resurrect two birds with one stone because what will happen is they will come alive they will find their confidence they will start to find their identity and the darkness that's in them will manifest but they'll be walking with me and processing it with me. Hey, Lord, we did this. Hey, Lord, I did that. You know, and, and I'll be there to say, like, look at the mirror. Look at the 2 Corinthians 3.18 from glory to glory. Recognize me as I truly am. And, and does that image reflect what you're reflecting? You know, he didn't come to condemn them. He's not even, it's called a rebuke, but you don't know what spirit you're of. He didn't accuse them of what spirit they have and this comes from a wound from your childhood and from this and some rejection you had from a t-ball coach or whatever it was it was just like hey that's not how i do it you see the contrast and the lights were coming on by their failures in walking with the lord these things would manifest in their heart and they could clearly see their image in jesus's image and they could make that call like oh my gosh Hey, that's not what we're like. Oh, you're right. And boom, repentance happens. Do you think they thought like, hey, you've got murder in your heart. They're like, no, I don't. I'm one of the 12 disciples. You know what I mean? But it was there. Did Jesus know it? Peter, Satan wants to sift you. Don't worry, I've prayed for you. It's like, what? He wants to, what? It's like, yeah, it'll work. It'll work out. You need to see some of the darkness that's in you. And by this war on darkness... It's going to cause darkness to manifest within you, but it won't disqualify you. We'll use it to, to cut it out of your life. 
and you'll be transformed by walking with me. And this grace of God that's preached throughout the entire New Testament by some of these guys as the writers, but also by the Lord Jesus comes and it actually is transformative and it changes everyone into his image. He empowered his people and they came alive. They stepped back into their creative purpose, really the eternal purpose, that's what it says in Ephesians 3, right? To be fruitful and multiply and subdue the darkness that actually wrecks shop on the earth. You've been created for this. You know, we think we have to be perfect to be used by God, and, 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 but the reality is that God empowers, uses imperfect people, he empowers them and causes them to come alive. And in that process of walking with him, do they make mistakes and do their imperfections manifest? Absolutely they do. But that gives them opportunity to see it for what it is and see the contrast of who he is and have the choice to step out of that old lineage of Adam and into the lineage of their true father. And that's Christianity. And that's the war. Because in the very next chapter, I know it's a little longer, but I'm trying, I'm trying to wrap it up. But in the very next chapter, you know, it was 2007. Before we ever even came to start this and all that stuff, I started having this, this picture in my head of Luke 10, the very next chapter of Jesus. It says in Luke 10, 21, rejoicing in his spirit. And it was like I kept having this picture in my mind of Luke 10, 21. Like it was like almost like repeat, like it was a movie I was not trying to watch. And I just kept seeing it, seeing it. And it was a way I never really imagined that like the Zephaniah 317 of like the Lord rejoices over you with dancing and singing. Like it's not like, oh, you know, it's not like this, you know, these white people dance or whatever. It's like it's like this exuberant Middle Eastern just party, you know, uh, uh, the eternal king. Um, who's twirling, it's, it's almost violent, but it's not in a negative way. It's just passionate singing and dancing and just excitement. It's like somebody won the Super Bowl on a kickoff return on the last with one second to the left, you know, and everyone's going crazy. It's, it's like this exuberant, and I'm, and I'm looking at this in my mind, this Luke 10, 21, and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, and I'm seeing, I just have this picture of Jesus in my mind in a way I've never thought of him, never seen him, and he's celebrating and he's acting in a way they're like, yo, what's wrong with him? Like, I've never seen him like this because it's not written like this. He rejoiced in spirit. But when you look at what that really means, it's like he was like twirling. He was fired up. He was like, picture it, man. You, know, you got some crazy sports fans that you know, like, woo, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like this, this like, ah, you know what I mean? He's fired up and I keep seeing this. And I saw it continue to when he was by himself on a mountain. I just kept seeing it in my mind. Like even later on, he still kept like rejoicing. He was fired up and he was excited. And, um, but it was this story. It's like these disciples, these three things in Luke 9, they manifested all this negativity. They, they did all this stuff that you would think like, man, like that was a bad trip. You need to, you need to hire a whole new 12 because every single last one of them are rascals, man. You know what I mean? But Jesus is like, no, this is good. I want them to manifest this stuff. Then they'll see it and they'll know. They have the power, but it's the nature that's going to transform the world. It's my nature. They're going, to be my, they're going to be my ambassadors. And what better way to train them but to let them walk through this and see it for themselves and separate themselves from that old nature. And, and it literally ends, Luke 9, with Luke 10. Verse 1 says, after these things, like after these disciples really showed their uh, tales and bad aspects of themselves, the Lord appointed 
70 others and sent them two by two before his faith into every city which he was going to go. And, or, or your Bible says 72. Some 70, some 72. But it's like, after these things, so after that mission, giving them power, he was like, that was great. We're always like, we're like, those guys are idiots. That was a mistake. That was too early. He was like, nope, it was perfect. Now I'm picking 70, 72 more, and they're going to do the same thing. <laughs> and it's just like, well, what if they come back acting like that? Same result. Like after these things, this wasn't a failure, this was a victory because the separation was happening within them. Light and darkness and power. And he sends the 70 out, or the 72 out, into all these cities. And in verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they come back, 72 starts trickling in, like, oh my gosh, they came alive. Like, you don't understand. And they're like, we're not even the 12. We're like, we're the other, yeah, the B team's on the, in, in, the, in the game too, baby. You know, like they're fired up. They're coming alive. They're doing what they've been created to do, which was manifest God in the world, which causes you to come alive. They're subject to us. And Jesus says what? He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Some people think like, oh, that's in the war, you know, Revelation, you know, 12 or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. He's talking about the region. We're talking about the king's strategy for a, re a city or a region. They're like, oh man. And he's like, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning out of heaven. It's like, it was awesome, demons, da, da, da. It's like, no, you kids don't understand. You rattled the big boys. You rattled something that was over the region. <laughs> like it's bigger than you think. It wasn't a, oh, oh, you know, we need unity, brother. Let's have a worship night and have all the churches and da da da, da. It's like, none of that's ever been in the Bible. Never will be. It's like, that's, that's not the way. The way is the true ecclesia on this rock I'll build my church. He empowered his people to go and be the life of God in their circles. What, what, what do you mean? You don't want to, you know, sponsor some evangelistic uh, outreach thing or some big thing downtown? Let's have a concert. You know, maybe we can have Michael W. Smith come and sing and pass out tracks. Like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, what did Jesus do, man? What did he do? What did he do? He walked with his people. You know what I mean? They realized like, oh, snap. You don't know. Oh, my gosh. I just wanted to kill people. I feel so rotten. And, 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 and I should be disqualified. Well, you weren't. I let you go out and do it. I'm like, That's true. This is strange. So, yeah, because I love you. Mind change. You know what I mean? Mind change. The grace of God. The empowerment of God. It felt good, though, didn't it? It sure did. Felt like you came alive. Felt like you were a superhero, like you always wanted to be when you were a kid, huh? Yeah, you're called to be that in the earth. You're called to give life in the earth. You're called to do good. I ascended on high. Ephesians 4. He ascended. He descended and he ascended and he gave gifts to men. The writer actually changes something that's written in the Old Testament about he received gifts and puts he gave gifts to men, which that's, a, that's the Apostle Paul. The highest level scholar of the Old Testament. So that's a pretty gutsy thing to do, brother, but it's our Bible. He, so he gave giftings? Yeah, Ephesians 12. They're all from the same. Oh, I'm sorry, not Ephesians 12. First Corinthians 12. They're all from the same spirit. Hmm. He gave gifts to men. And it's like, yeah. So Ephesians 4 says that the church is meant for the leadership of the church. Their role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's to train them in their gifts and callings. Yeah. 
but I thought it's just to be their priest and be over them. Like, no, you got to watch out for them like a shepherd of their soul, but it's really actually to train them in their own personal gifts and callings so that they release this life throughout their life, throughout their circles constantly, and your city gets wrecked by it. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's, that's, that sounds like war, man. That sounds like battle. And it comes with warfare, it does. And you get to meet some really interesting dark characters. I'm telling you, man, they're actually real. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Dude, we had a dang black cat disemboweled, disemboweled and thrown on the dang sign a few weeks ago, a couple months back. People like to play those little, eh, little witchcraft thing. You know what I mean? A couple weeks later, we had one at our dang house right outside of our window. But I like it. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that. You know what I mean? Hey, this stays in here today. It's like, yeah, it's, it's cool, the light versus darkness thing. It's like, hey, man, this, this whole thing is real, and the mystic reality of this new covenant is real, and all the stuff talks about, like, you're here to be fruitful and multiply. This is about a battle. It's about a war, and there is unity, but it's unity over what? This one loaf of bread, this one, this one glass of wine. It is the unity of the fellowship of the bread and the wine, the, resurrect, the, the crucified and resurrected Christ, which now permeates your being. And in this unity of mind, everything he says is who I am. Everything he's accomplished was actually for me, and it's for us, and we have a mission in this region and in this place. Yeah. And that's what it's about. The 70 come back. We, saw, we cast out demons like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. He's like, I saw Satan fall like, you, you, you hit one of the big dogs, you know. And it's Jerusalem, so the, the, the religious capital, that, that's really a chief prince right there. Mm. You, hit, you hit a big one. I saw him displaced. What you did in affecting people's minds, because that's how the principalities and powers of rules of the air, they are fed by the mindsets of a region. Yeah. You've affected the mindsets of a region and they, they, they started to lose their, their place and their ground. Oh, that's fun, isn't it? Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will hurt you. That's what he tells them. He's like, you knocked a big one down. I give you authority to trample over all of their garbage. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, don't, re don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's just like, hey, yeah, you existed before this place. We were, Ephesians 1, in Christ before the foundation of the earth. Like, we, like, it's like, what is that? What is that supposed to mean? Like, your names are written, the annals, the stories. Rejoice that your names are written. And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. He rejoiced in the Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you have hidden these things. This is this, this, is this rejoicing. You've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to the babies because it seemed good to you. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except for the Father, and who the Father is except for the Son, and the one whom the Son reveals him to. And then he turns to his disciples and says, blessed are you which see the things you see. Like This is epic. Remember it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come on, dude. Yeah. He rejoiced. The boogeyman was in town. They're trying to snuff it out. But now, he, maybe he's John Baptist. Where's he at? Now he sent out 12. Now he sent out 72. And guess what? It's happening everywhere. 
And so if you're, good, if you're, if you're the Pharisees and, and Rome and you're trying to put this fire out so there's not a thing, he's multiplied himself over that whole region in such a degree that no one knows who he is or where he is anytime. It could crack off anywhere. And he is happy about it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. His joy is our strength. And there's nothing more exhilarating. Even when you feel like you need, there's nothing. Anthony's talked about that, like to, to release. To release is something way more life-giving than to, because it's the joy, and you see it's the joy of the Lord. I thank you, you've hidden this. You've kept it a secret. Nobody knows who the Son is, except the Father. Nobody knows who I really am. Nobody knows who I really am. Woo! Identity is officially concealed. And I know this. The rulers don't know who I am. They're going to crucify me. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to flip the whole thing. I'm going to recover everything. I'm going to recover all my kids. All of them are coming home. Every single last one of them. I'm coming after them. You know? No one knows who the Son is except for the Father. And to be honest, nobody knows who the Father is except for the Son and who the Son chooses to reveal Him to. Jesus, man. If He don't look just like me, sound like me, and smell like me, it ain't God. That's what he's saying. This God you talk about, if it ain't just exactly identical to me, it ain't him. Clark Kent saying it, V. Nobody knows who Superman is but me. Nobody knows who I am but Superman. Do that what you want. 